another episode of like dragon like sun my name is jack outway and i am jay outway and we return now following our epic saga of episodes counting down from 100 of course to celebrate our 100th episode and we are free we are free from the, the it is it's curse. uh it's been a long summer mm-hmm. and uh yeah let, let's talk about something else let's talk about something you've been working on Something um, I've been working on before this summer for a very long time, but yeah, now no, I'm getting into finally for playing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is, uh, this episode we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, campaign setting that Jack has been working on. And I guess it's it's a bit of a special campaign setting because rather than just being a completely sort of stock, um, like Forgotten Realms sort of mm-hmm. world you went and kind of rebuilt uh your your whole world and, and even rebuilt like all of the classes and races and everything so it's it's almost not like 5e well i mean anymore. i mean whatever you want to call it it like any other you know i mean i i grew up on 5e i mean i'm a new generation of D player that got into it for a very long time but one thing that i was looking for in the game which is not really there it's a little bit there in ravenloft and in certain places like that and in the new van richten's guide is more of a a gothic maybe more victorian era story um i've really been inspired by you know games such as uh you know bloodborne you know darkest dungeon that that darker um, grim dark without with moving it a little bit forward in time where there is things like you know novel guns and we move away from monarchies and towards you know big business and industry uh, just a little bit and that right. is sort of the theme that I wanted to explore um, in that game and with it came kind of re-looking reassessing many of the classes I wanted it to be a little bit less magical I mean there's still the occult and there's the you know divine and there's whatever right and it exists in many forms you if you want to be a spellcaster there are plenty of options there for you but it's not like the same way that you'd imagine a wizard would be studying spells and there'd be you know the way that magic kind of is imagined sometimes in fantasy settings you know fey is more eldritch you know things are more things are darker and 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 more gloomy and they have a cost to them that perhaps we don't think of initially with the way we imagine the weave like a force here the weave is like a living breathing thing that takes from you as you take from it right um that kind of idea that magic is is a bit darker as well but um uh i've really been inspired by this and and it led me to re imagining all of the classes for five um from 5e including the addition of some of my own new classes um which was a huge writing project that my friends helped me with they helped me play test it they helped me look yeah, at so it yeah so your your players um, have been actively involved have, in yeah. you know the balancing and creation process as well so you haven't been doing this alone mm-hmm. um i mean a lot of it has been written alone but then it's been checked by the very people who are yeah. using it well, that's that's the beautiful thing, right? I mean, I don't have a huge number of friend groups that I rotate between all playing this with. I've just got one group of guys at my school that were all in the D&D. And um, oh, there's more and more that we're slowly discovering. And maybe we can welcome them into the fold at some point. Um, but it's really been a, a, a 
wonderful experience for me to share with them. I mean, I always think that in D&D, there's two phases of play. You know, as a DM or a creator, there's the phase of play where you're homebrewing things or even homebrewing an adventure or a setting. Even if you haven't made your own setting, just, you know, prepping for a session or getting excited about character creation in se- before session zero even starts. This is the first half of the game, I think, in a way. And the second half of the game is is actually playing and living in that world, which I am, I've been so excited to do. And now that I'm finally getting to sort of see that. Uh, come to fruition it's it's all it's all quite exciting you've got a pretty big table how how many people are players well i'm sure as any D player can attest at times it feels big and at times it feels small um at its max i could have six players which is you know on the larger side of reasonable i think um but you know typically if two or three friends can't make it it becomes much more of a regular sized party and that happens from time to time it's just the nature of things you know schedules it's yeah. the greatest enemy in D&D yeah of course um, and uh, so tell us a little bit about alright so you've got of these six characters uh, give us a breakdown of what the party looks like well we've got a fairly good balance currently I mean really I, I encourage them to take a shot at anything that interested them that I'd written I mean half of this is really seeing if my creations work or if everything falls apart is an unbalanced mess and when it is, we quickly fix it. And again, that's the beautiful thing about this game is that it's never really broken because um, you can repair it in any which way you want. And when something is your own creation, you don't need to, you know, ask Jeremy Crawford if this is the way. And like, I'm, sometimes I'm just laying down the tracks, not only for the story, but for the rules of this world as they come. Um, but I'm mostly fo- sticking closely to the way that um, 5e runs things, but from time to time I change and shake things up. I'm actually shaking a lot of things up. One of the major additions is stress, of course, and the idea of insanity that can be accrued. Um, and so that's been a huge impact on you know, flaws, the way the character flaws come into play, is if they can really roll that up and, and play into that or even lean into bonds or into their own interests and personality traits. They can we'll, use that for stress we'll recovery in, as well. We'll get into those those in a second, but just give us an overview. What are the, the right, six right, pl- characters, um, the PCs? Well, we've got one that's a bit of a, a mix of a rogue and a, a hunter, which is a reimagining, a non-magical reimagining of the ranger, and he's very much so into the firearms, which I wanted to see a player... Uh, run with that and it has its own unique ammunition system and misfire capabilities you know drawing information uh, inspiration from many of the different ways that some people try to approach the firearms like a little bit from critical role a little bit from here and there but um, it is its own sort of unique system and I don't think it's perfect at this point but it could use refining or you know if it works it works for now um, for us um, which is exciting we've got a couple of half casters I don't believe the party has any full caster but there's a bard which are more now reimagined as um, they're they're storytellers in a sense that they don't need to just be singers or lute players or whatever instruments are can be more advanced but there's also now paintings and the beautiful thing about Eldritor is how often you see the 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 insane or crazed artist come into um, play there's we have the the jester which is a bit of a daredevil there's the celebrant which ties into more you know divine themes but the party itself has a an artist who is a playwright driven mad by dreams um, similar to perhaps stories you've heard like the king in yellow um what that was a big inspiration for that player and it's just really cool to see you know their understanding of you know whether it be goth- even unintentionally i mean i just brought that up and they're like wow it just works perfectly but some of these stories that we see told in like you know lovecraftian or you know we that whole genre it's it's fun to explore that in a collaborative to- a storytelling um setting um just getting a little bit spooked out and afraid and creeped out at times is something that i quite enjoy um 
and it, it's a big part of creating stories uh, in this group as well. Uh, I believe we also have a paladin on deck um, who is a bit uh, was once perhaps the most stalwart and and you know not valiant and you know not troubled or burdened by a terrible past uh, in the same way that others are very altruistic and now they are getting more and more hampered by adventure and and twisted and their morality is being shaken at certain times which has been interesting to sort of watch um we also have a mystic in the party who was once terribly afraid of fire and now embraces it so what's the mystic class uh, the mystic class is not a psionic class per se although if you wanted to run uh, you know follow that i have some subclasses that kind of provide that for you the mystic is kind of a, a hermetic warrior if, if that makes sense they're they're not as trained or proficient with armor they kind of blend the idea of monk um and give them some more customizability because really as a, a game designer that was my philosophy when approaching this is just giving every single class far more customization option right i mean you think about classes like barbarian the only thing they get to pick are their asis and their subclass which every class gets to pick you know what i mean uh, and so really with the mystic or the monk as well you don't get a lot of options right the, again the only option that you have is your subclass and your asi right um, right. or the optional features that they might give you. And so really it's about giving it things like ascetic aspects, which give them really wa um, unique ways to incorporate defense and offense uh, using key, which is now a bit more of a generously gifted resource um, where you can expend hit die to regain them um, instead of it just being your uh, mystic level or monk level. It is now that plus uh, your proficiency bonus, which is um, a little bit better. Yeah. So that idea of, of, again, you'll see on any sort of subreddit or things, people trying to reapproach classes. Sure. I've tried to do that with a lot of the classes um, with the focus being on customizability because I, I often hear people praise things like Pathfinder over D&D for the options they give to players. Right. And so I'm like, well, let's just give them more options, right? Yeah. So that's my When idea. I sort of feel like 5e, part of its early success and getting so many new people into it was the beautiful way that it was simplified down mm -hmm. compared to previous editions. Yeah. And then now as, you know, you play for a while and you get around the table, um, you start to realize that there's some classes like the Warlock, which is beautifully designed for... Well, you some know, people would disagree, but I love the Warlock I think it's. I think it's got a lot of interesting layers and options to it. You know, which pact you're going to choose, which patron you're going to choose. Mm -hmm. Like, there's there's a bunch of different ways that those things kind of interlock and blend together, which is, I think, um, you know, that not a lot of class, not every class has so many choices. Which in your world, which I think we haven't mentioned the name, it's you, you're calling it Blightheim. Blightheim, that's right. In Blightheim. Um, set of rules each class you've tried to make sure that they have mm. those sort of customizations now are the players all like low level one we started with them i believe around level it could have been level i think it was level one that we began all the characters at right or one or two for this prologue that we did and this was really a way to immerse them in the world get them to see some things get them to just play some quick dd because we knew um as school let out we'd have about two to three weeks to play before we'd have to go our separate ways for the summer um so we thought okay we'll just do a quick prologue right and then after that it's been me updating you know furiously um to add more subclasses add more options i mean that's always my my goal and the beautiful thing that you'll you'll find is that like when you're you don't have to wait for a new source book to release you know you are the lead designer and so i can drop a you know 14 subclasses whenever i want to right i mean I, yeah and that was sort of a, a little project of mine because it is tied to some of my schoolwork in some case um with 
that anyway so i'm like nah, i don't feel guilty about spending my time doing this yeah you know and it's something that i enjoy my friends enjoy um so that's that's really encouraging in many places as well and ha- how many subclasses do you have on each class well my goal for each class was at least seven and right. so and so you've got six players who've got choice like 70 some choices of well seven is the minimum some of them go anywhere up to right. nine i believe um, multiple classes have about nine subclasses for each of them right which you'll see in in regular D there are classes that have that many so you've got then a, there, there's some that don't have like many options at all like, so you've got a player who is a hunter hunter rogue multi rogue. you've got a style. mystic yep mystic you've got a paladin a paladin what else we got uh, we've got the uh, uh, oh a barbarian that's right right um, but they're not the traditional like big you know I mean of course in in a, in a gothic setting rage is a, a madness of kinds no? okay and so the idea rage is not limited to a certain number of uses per long rest rage instead causes you to accrue stress and each time you activate it again right. it accrues more stress and more stress which leads you towards madness which leads you towards madness my friends have criticized the class's design because at first level it gives you the ability to gain ridiculous crit ranges or damage bonuses because are you aware how the base barbarian has a rage damage bonus that scales as you gain levels in the class yep. this one instead scales with how much stress you currently have oh I see so the more insane you are the more damage you're dealing, even the more if you're low you level, crit. even if you're low level, the maximum threshold, though, you'll need to go over 100 stress, which in Blightheim causes insanity. Once you cross 100, you've crossed the same threshold. Right. And you go insane. Um, and so really to get the best benefits, you need to go mad as this class. And going mad is not something that you want. Um, How, what do you do? Players lose agency if they go mad or do you they just, do not, but they just role play? It is madness. This is something that I think I could see having some contention at tables where players aren't w- ready to accept it. And this is why this setting is not for everyone. I mean, like you mentioned, accessibility. I would not try and introduce this to a new player that's never, that has little interest in right. D&D. And I'm, well, of course, I have introduced a friend with the system. And I think this is now all they know, which perhaps is a dangerous thing that I've done to a new D&D player. Right. <laughs> but, well, um, I mean, I think ultimately the the advice is always, you know, you've got to you've got to create the game that's right for your table mm-hmm. as a DM. And you have played with most of these players a campaign that went from level 1 to level 20. Um, you've played a ton of one-shots. You've had various members of the, of the table <clears throat> run run one-shots as DM. So you know these guys super well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been playing with them, you know, as, as long as... I've been trying to run games for a group that'll that'll listen, and so we've just been doing base five e. And for the longest time before this, we were just running another campaign with the base five e rules. But even then, I was inventing my own rules to try and um, give this a, another layer, another layer of flair. Um, so with with Blightheim, this was really a chance to to stretch those creative writing muscles, designing muscles. Um, sorry, our familiars run amok. Um, but um, yeah, I mean. So far, they seem to be enjoying it. We haven't had everyone at the, the you know table yet because here we've got certain quarantines and timelines, and it'll be a couple weeks before we all get together. But um, it'll be really neat to see the whole um, party information. Uh, where are the where are the final? So we uh, yeah we got paladin, uh, PCs. mystic, you know that hunter. Uh, we got the barbarian. The barbarian. We got the bard. A bard. And then there's oh, the bard's the play, the mad play, right? Yes, the the one who's also got a bit of insanity and... going on. And finally, there's a player who has is 
you know, indecisive, and I would be indecisive at the face of all of these choices, um, who's currently thinking of playing some kind of uh, um, automaton sort of thing. And it, it's not so much um, Warforged as more it is is some kind of occult construct, right? That it was, you know, madly, some mad scientist put together could be f- more fleshy, could be more porcelain almost. Right. Uh, the, in the way I, that I imagine, is, like a, a puppet of Is kinds. this, like, again, back to our conversation we once had our little hot take that perhaps the undying was better than the warforged uh, well yes it the thing with um blightheim is that it's not a setting where dwarves or elves or tieflings exist right. so you've kept it um, all human i kept it all human but instead of just removing the whole race choice i've created a system called lineages right which, which rather exists than just already have, you know custom lineage which is whatever i've tried to make them um, right, like the, like the gothic lineages do. Well, you know, in the, I've kept one of the, the gothic lineages. I've changed it slightly. Uh, the Dampier still exists in Blightheim right. because I think playing a vampire is always a fun option to have. But there are more generic ones, like if you want to just play the adventurer who gets, you know, three plus ones and a skill and a feat, and you'll see many of them are slight variations on your traditional custom lineage that maybe some give you more proficiencies if that's what you're looking for. Some give you, you know, a, a greater spread of, of bonuses to your stats. Some give you maybe plus twos or even plus threes to certain stats, but in exchange to other things. And there are also uh, lineage options if you are a player who... Um, wants to play a, a tragic story things like the worthless um as a lineage which uh seriously caps your potential you know starting scores when rolling um but they all play a role in in character creation right that's the main phase that you'll see them appear in um with some exceptions obviously but um it i thought at first it was a very small system for lineages that was it but with my again my friend's help they've really spun this thread and we weaved it out into more and more and more um, that are now like a plethora of options in terms of what you want to so, make. So you had a, a sort of a, an era of, of development that was just you. Mm-hmm. And then you went through a phase of development where you were working with each player almost on mm-hmm. once they started to see what you'd created so far, where they were like, what I want to build is this piece and this piece, but I want to do something else. And then you develop more huh? of the lineage and sort of yeah. flesh it out a little bit more i mean my friends are, are creative in excellent ways and they they are really <clears throat> great in aiding in the sort of the storytelling and in, in this cr- like this writing process and that they'll be like well i like this but what like there's no real option for this there's like a glaring missing hole here here's what i would do and i'm like oh that's cool you know let's think about that right and so then we'll you know it'll be a whole new section in equipment or a whole new you know way to interpret you know, backgrounds are a whole new set of lineages. And um, for that, I think in many ways, just like I imagine this first phase of story, you know, the idea of the two phases playing and creating, I'd imagine the creating phase for so long as an individual process. And then you think that's a collaborative process too, so often, right? I mean, it, it takes turns in being, you know, me in my little, you know, dark room, typing away at whatever hour. And then, you know, getting together with all my friends and them, or I don't know, some, you know, Discord call and them being like, this is busted and broken and here's why. And, oh, no, you're right. I never thought about it that way. Or, you know, you know what? I'm going to keep it this way. And, you're, and then I'm like, finally, like, you know what? No, you're right. I'm just being stubborn. But um, it sometimes it involves me kind of having to get over my own assumptions as well, which I think is a really interesting exercise if you are a writer or a game designer. I mean, I'm sure people who are professional in this understand this, but it was really an opening eye-opening experience for me just to be like even just like the small things of just having people editing through and my one friend who's like got this keen critical eye always notices every little spelling mistake 
that I make, and I'm like, you know what? Thank you. You know, at first it annoyed me, and now I'm I'm eternally grateful for it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the sixth player hasn't decided their class though, so I'm trying to help them with that. And then it becomes an interesting discussion of how do you help a player, right? Or yeah. how do you try and turn a character into, or just like like a build into a character, I suppose, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and there's the step that's in the player's hands, which is deciding a background and thinking of a backstory. And then there's me taking their you know rough sketch and making it a full illustration, if you will, inside the world. What? Because you've already created inside the world. There's mm-hmm. a number of different like families and, and houses factions and factions, and, yeah. and a, uh, they, there's a starting city that they're in with different neighborhoods. And it's true. There's a whole sort of you have adventure plot hooks baked into your setting, and a lot of them mm. baked in. So then you can start to tie each of the characters into these things in ways that when you were creating the 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 community you didn't know the players were going to be able to fit in that way but now they do right so well yeah it's it, again it's a back and forth process in terms of world building i mean you think about it as just like little parts of the world are imagined until they need to be zoomed in on or zoomed out right, right. and then you begin to fill in those spaces right i mean you think about how google maps sometimes when you zoom all the way in it needs a moment to load right or you zoom all the way out and this chunk isn't whatever i kind of think about it the same way it's like i only have made what is in in view of the camera i mean if you see like a frame shot on a on a film set everything else besides that one frame is is a mess is a chaotic mess or all over the place or but that one little frame is perfect right yeah and so as they begin to make their characters i know the next frames i need to add to that little you know picture to make it full right to make them have you know meaningful connections with existing pcs or npcs to have a neighborhood that they have grew up in and they know things about Um, and that involves me learning more about those places as well that i knew again i had in my mind a rough sketch and they also helped me make that a full illustration right because i need to focus on that um that's kind of the way it ends up going on like on like a specific so that's a lot of gameplay Without well, anybody without actually gameplay. sitting at the table or rolling any dice Well, sometimes yet. it includes rolls. Sometimes it does include rolls. But it's but. back still, it's, just, it's a fun back and forth between mm. friends involved in a game, involved in a campaign that are, are all being a little meta because they're kind of building, you know, into yeah. the backstory and discussing, well, would it work this or would that work? Where, rather than being above the table and like, you know... Um, well, we're not at the table. Yeah. I, I encourage it's like, it's being like meta. This is totally behind yeah, the scenes. I love when my, my friends are like behind meta the, storytellers yeah. with me before we get to the table. Yeah, right. Which is great, right? They are not embodying the character yet. They are like they want to see. They like the thing I love about my friends, and this is maybe hard for some people who just want to see uh, tell a heroic story. Is that Blightheim is very much so not a heroic place. It is a story about how adventuring and the people who you know take like lead you to the, the world of adventure will manipulate you and extort you terribly and leave you ruined and they do not care for you they just care for what you do right for the work you provide and anyone could replace you right i mean it's the the idea I, i'm sure many people come to realize this and how much adventurers lay their lives down and how often is it worth it you know for for a gold price can you put your life on the line right and then you know when it comes to madness and seeing things beyond the veil and then what compels you is beyond just adventurers for for some you know cause or guild or faction or kingdom or whatever you learn that the kingdom is really what you need to fight right yeah uh that's kind of the story that i'm, I'm hoping to to show them that 
one, they're working for someone, but two, that you can never really trust or, or you know, you might get close to them, but they are, they don't see you in the same way that they, you know, protect themselves. They they use you because you are disposable, right? Because you can take the hit, right? Um, so I'm trying to, like, keep in mind as a storyteller the major themes, yeah. and I, I subtly suggest them in little, you know, bite size, it, it kind of yes-anding with the end being my own personal themes that I kind of want to start injecting into there. And at first it seems like, well, how am I going to, you know, figure out this little puzzle of how this character fits into my narrative? And then before I know it, I'm like, yep, I figured it out. It's all clicking into place, you know, um, as I brainstorm back and forth. And my players are very receptive to different ideas. And I could see a resistance scenario where they're like, mm, maybe I don't like that idea as much. And I'm like, okay. And then it's just finding another route. I mean, as like a river going down the hill, you know, just find the path of least resistance that both works yeah. until you reach the sea, right? That, that body of water that is this shared communal, you know, source of story and narrative that brings people together. Cause really that's the thing can, that can often make, you know, campaigns or plots feel a little disorganized or like, why is our party even yeah. together? Right? Like, what are we doing? That's always like, the tricky, we, or... you know, beginning part, especially if you put a, mm. together a game really fast um often we brush over it because it's it's assumed like, you know yeah where we just ask everybody at the table to come up for one reason why their character would be yeah. in this scene and that's it and they're, they're all there just because they each have their own motivation and, and they truth, decide that working together is going to be for a one shot or advantage. even for like a series of six or seven you know sessions that works just fine yeah you know in a, in a role play light combat heavy scenario that's all you need right but it, in my previous campaign, I think it went for nearly 40 sessions where we were running um, that game, and it needed to have more than just one reason, right? Yeah. And that was kind of what the issue was, even in the prologue. I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to tell the story because what's interesting and what's getting their characters, many of these characters have selfish motivations currently, and you can even feel it. I, I even felt it in my first little session with just a couple of the guys we had a couple of days ago, and it's like, is going to need to have them come out of their shells and become a little bit more selfless, right? Become a little bit more party oriented because right now all they've known is their own life and their own goals. And suddenly their own goals start to become the party goals. All right. And a trick I use is a yes. group patron. Tell me, tell us also, well, before you get to the group patron though, you gave everybody in the beginning, like a bit of a, of a, of a handout of some sort, right? Uh, something that they had to set up their own, personal like where they set their own personal goals and if you sort of meet them you'd get like sort of mm, that leveled. was something i did yeah you're i think this was something i, I heard in a matt colville video and i love the idea and i just wanted to experiment with it i don't think i'll be continuing with it in that way because it is a little paper consuming and time consuming for me to make and it's a little video gamey but the, the idea goes that you very you know very succinctly create a little sheet could be on digital could be printed could be whatever and for a individual character no one else gets to see it they get um like a, a sentence telling them you know they need to do this and they need to do this and when they do those two things they get a reward and it implicitly you know creates them as a player even if they meta don't really understand what this thing is they create an incentive for them to want to do it right this is especially useful for players that maybe are more compelled by shiny magic items or by specific you know quest you know quest rewards and maybe this is a way to keep it you know very simple right this is yeah. like very obvious like do this get this right right if players are struggling to find like why are we doing this you're doing this because you get plus one sword xanthasar you know from the mountain of you know 
fire and whatever you know but you get the idea right but this but isn't this still like kind of useful in a way that even though you may have a bigger plot running if each character has a little subplot a little thing that might add complexity to the story because at some point they may the party was like all right we go this way and they're like oh we should not go that way we should go this way instead because they have their own motivation about get picking up you know, said yeah. Well, you try to avoid conflict. I've no, of course. I mean, you can but... you can negotiate with the party. You can convince them and tell them why it'd be great to go that way or whatever. But sure. it adds interesting, I think, complexity to it when each player in the party does, in the back of their mind, have a little, you know, selfish motivation on top of their mm. also motivation to work as a group. Like, you and know. you can, if you want to have a party that turns on itself, that's one way to do it is to create conflicting sub goals, right? That right. lead to the party yeah, well, tearing at each other. Right? The more the more conflicting Pulling they are, apart. the yeah, the more opportunity for some confrontation role play. Another thing you can um, do with this though But is, not every player likes that confrontation sure, sure, role play. Not every player likes that. Uh, of course, uh, not every player likes any one thing. It's hard to please everyone. Yeah, so you right? gotta work to but, your table's strengths. Like if they if you've got a table sure. who who can handle you know, two of the players in character having an argument, but then both those players cannot like can get out of character and just be best friends still. Yeah. I mean, that takes, I mean, I I think more maturity for sure. I think sometimes it's a bit hard. I mean, we're not used to separating ourselves from a character. And so sometimes attacks can feel personal. Yeah. That's something you always got to, you know, keep in mind. And, um, but another use for this, if you're even as a DM, you want to encourage more role play or things that your players do as just etiquette or things at the table that you want to see more of, you can make these goals like spend, you know, or not even like a time limit, just like have a conversation with X person about blank, like another PC at the table about this, right? Yeah. Talk, to, And it's like, it, there's a line where it becomes a tricky thing of like players like doing the bare minimum, but also you can like talk to your friends about it. And like these goal cards, these are suggestions. I don't, don't feel like, don't do like the bare minimum or try and, you know, min max this role play sheet right i'm doing this is like encouraging you to you know and and you could be open about discussions but sometimes people like gamifying things right they like making it a little sheet that has a a little quest line that even if it's like as a player a quest line for them to do i think there's potential there i think it needs communication as all things do um but um i've had fun with that And and at least in the prologue i think it was a good idea of introducing them into having certain motivations to go together as a party rather than to split apart. Um, even if it was a little meta, I will say that that system can be a bit meta. Um, but for this time, I've built it around a group patron um, that all that they're all working for, right? So in some way that they are, they've agreed to work together under this guy um, yeah. with the promise that this guy can help them with their individual things, which they will soon realize are not so individual as they might expect. Um, they are much more related problems than they might imagine. Um, and they need to go to places together. They they all need to go to similar places to learn more about certain things, um, which is kind of my own sort of genius secret things in the workings that I'm I'm preparing. Um, and so in terms of how I plan a an actual campaign, an actual adventure, actual plot line or a mystery, right? Because there's a lot of mystery in, in a setting like this. Is I discuss what they like what they really want to see their like I even talk to them like what do you think your character's art could look like what is their tragic flaw right now how could this either ruin them or how could they overcome it right and as a meta storyteller like from a moment they can kind of separate themselves from the character and be like I could see this happening I could see this happening and I'm like okay well these are story beats that I could see for each of these characters when could they come up 
you know, for way, you know, they're way down the line at this point. But I'm like, each thing I plan, if I can, I try and almost make a little corkboard mind map of all the things that are going on. I talk to them. You know, they, they are like, well, I want to have a relationship with a family that's really into making clothes or I don't know, whatever, because I feel like my character would be blah, 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 whatever, right? And they're like, okay, okay, well, I'll let you know that the family that does that is called the White Cloth family, and they'll, you'd know X and X and so and so, and they'll be like, oh, well, that's cool, because that then ties in with my blood. And it's that kind of, you know, unspooling of thread and rolling the ball of yarn uh, until we've got this whole interconnecting, you know, board of string that ties three different families together and it ties them to this other npc and i leave a couple things mysterious and i give them two like long-term motivation sort of things and one immediate motivation and the one immediate motivation for all of them was meet with this dude he'll give you a job he'll point you in the right direction right for what you need and so that got all of them interested in meeting the student working together and from there i can slowly move them on one what they think are unrelated side quests that really are revealing more of this greater plot that involves them in ways that they don't realize yet. Um, so that was kind of my way of doing it or, or trying working with it. And it's sort of just one player, this is what they say, you know, second player, okay, well, how can I link that maybe? I'll th put a pin in that, I'll think about that later. And the third player comes along and like, well, that kind of solves that little gap I was worrying about, take that pin out, we figured it out until there's more and more. And the more that there is, the more complex it can, it can get. So I try and simplify it as much as possible so, you know, for my own sake, but I think even keeping documents, taking notes, I mean, I had a notebook where I just as players were talking, I just write down names and things that they say, and I try and listen, right? I mean, as a collaborative storyteller, they want to see their character go through a certain kind of story, right? They want that, you know, satisfaction, they want certain beats, but they also want to be surprised, right? And yeah. so I set up my own surprises that they have no idea, and I think they'd like. Um, and there's a bit of, you know, concern, oh, will this intrigue them, or will it mess up? And in the end of the day, I mean, it's just... I have trust in my players, they have trust in me, and if they're uncomfortable with anything or they feel anything wasn't quite right, I mean, I know that they'll tell me. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm as worried about it as I can be, frankly. You know, I'm not going to stress or lose sleep over it, but um, I think they're all just excited, and you just run with that excitement. I, I was lucky to play in a campaign that, I mean, not at all as complexly developed as this, but where it still had given the DM sort of a a bit of a write-up on what like I could see as my character's like main hero sort of moment. Um, imagining he, he was this uh, furbolg scout with a heavy crossbow, but I wrote this whole scene about how he'd be chasing down poachers in the woods sort of thing and be able to like sort of disappear in behind the trees and there'd be this sort of hail of, of heavy crossbow bolts taking out the poachers one by one. They'd be able to see him coming and where he is and where he's coming from and and I just use it as a sort of a, a story to sort of get into sort of the, who the character kind of was and things. And then he used that later on to actually create towards sort of the, you know, peak of our campaign before it sort of wrapped up um, uh, a session that basically created that exact environment. Well, slightly different. They were loggers rather than poachers, but mm -hmm. it was still gave him the that hero moment to be that that character but it had gone a bit darker he'd he'd had an arc from starting off as sort of quite a friendly carefree dude to being somebody who at this point was yeah hunting people down in the forest and killing them um which was fun yeah i enjoyed that it a lot so it, it, it i think the this idea of working with your players 
asking them what what do you see your character becoming what do you what, what would be really cool what would be that scene and then thinking okay well I mean, we're gonna create an arc to get there and they're gonna go through a bunch of stuff but then as a dm purposely creating those moments that the players want to play mm-hmm. um i mean isn't that what fantasy role play is about sometimes like actually getting to to be that character that you've you dreamt up and created i mean not right away you gotta you know it's more satisfying when you've worked towards it and you've earned it um but i think that's a you know i think that's a big part of how this game works it's not just about you know monster of the week that we're killing but it's trying to do this thing with this character i mean not every table i mean some people prefer you know monster of the week and that's cool too but um i think you know doing this thing at its sort of apex of what you can pull together you bring in you know all these elements of super interesting character builds that also have a really cool role play arc yeah one other trick i would suggest to people who want to create interesting mystery is to in a a, you know pre-campaign setting give each player an entirely unrelated mystery that they have no idea completely not related to their backstory they have no idea what's going on but it's related to another character's backstory exactly yeah and interconnect everything. it's interconnected and there's one example like a character had this you know experience of you know upturned caravan and had a doll and a note with it and they're trying to figure out what it means little do they know that is the exact backstory of like you know exactly i mean this other player would kill for this information right <laughs> for figuring this out, that i've given to this other player right so when it comes up in discussion they naturally are interested in talking to another and gaining trust yeah. and working together to figure it out. And there's that, that sort of surprise moment where one character mentions a little something about it and they go, wait, wait, what did you just wait, say? Well, yeah, what did you just say? <laughs> and they explain it in more detail and suddenly like the penny drops and they're like, yeah. Oh, wait, I know about this. You know, yeah, it's we like... can we can put these two puzzle pieces together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's I think as a DM, it's actually quite fun to set up pieces like that, that the... Players have no idea why they would share it or mention it even. Mm-hmm. Um, until, well, to them, it's a mis- total mystery. They don't get it, right? Yeah. They're like, this is nothing. I mean, I and, don't understand. Yeah, and it. it's not going to just come up in conversation. Like, they're not Naturally, just going to blurt right. it out. Uh, it's going to wait for a moment where you're suddenly like, oh, hey, this makes sense because I remember this thing. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly another character would be like, what? 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 <laughs> Hold on. I'm say that again? <laughs> and so I like doing that because yeah, it great. means that working as a party is rewarded, right? Inherently. They are interested in them. Like players, I think, are inherently kind of prioritize their own characters, right? I mean, you make it. And many players, I mean, you love to see anyone succeed at the party, right, in the table. But people care about their characters, right? Yeah. They do. And so they care about other people when those other people can help their characters, right? Um, it's just a clever little tool. So I guess sort of to. To sort of tie all this back together, um, the this podcast, this episode's really been about, I guess, kind of sharing a little bit of what Blightheim is, um, the world that you've been creating, and I guess the the bigger message is about how we, you know, we, we need to work with the players at our table mm-hmm. if we want to build more story, if we want to have players caring a lot more about what they're doing and where they're going and how they're working together you can basically do a lot of this stuff when you're not at the table that it's kind of fun to do behind the scenes a lot of dms out there i know love the world building component of it but you and it is fun to play alone 
building things. Um, but then there's a next phase that maybe brings in everybody else in to sort of co-create without giving away surprises. In fact, creating more surprises. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, not everybody's going to be willing to go out and rewrite all the classes like you're doing, but you don't have to do any of that stuff either. You no. can take this in any setting yeah. um, that you want and, and focus on just that small picture that you need to start with. Uh, create a small space. Don't have to create the whole world. Like you said, just the stuff that's in the frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, yeah, and lay out some clues and mysteries and things. And I think your other really great tip in there that I picked up as well is, is get the players to talk a bit and just listen mm-hmm. to what they, they end up talking about because they are full of ideas of, of things. I also, many times I've in a session, I've thought of, sort of thought, oh, well, the you know, I sort of have an idea of what's going on and how it's going to go. But the players suddenly come up to it and they like, they realize, you know what this must mean? This must mean that, you know, X Prince is behind X, all these. And suddenly I'm like, oh, that's a much better idea than what I had. Yeah. And then suddenly you're like, yes, yes, that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. So you as a DM have to, in moments, recognize when the player's improv idea which is not what the actual idea was, is better than your actual idea. Then you go like, oh, we're going to change tracks and we're going to run with that because that's so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, the th- I just think the thought that collaborative storytelling doesn't need to start when you get to the table, right? Yeah. Like when you're making the plot for your campaign, keep your characters first and front in mind because the characters are plot. Characters are the narrative, yeah. right? Character-driven I mean, storytelling. It, it is not about The story is not about the NPCs or the villain. It is no. about the characters, right? Yeah. I mean, they are our protagonists. They're who we follow. Their arc and their... I mean, this is why Critical Role can feel so satisfying. And not saying your table needs to be anything like Critical Role. But if you want to get at the core of maybe why their stories feel so, you know, so much more real or you connect so much more with the characters there and the whole party and then why they work together is because they have reason to care for one another and they have the story that is about them it is not this module that exists outside of them right yeah and they each have a, a backstory that they're very slowly leaking out to each other that's sort of coming more clues and, and that, more that developing takes practice and that's too. yeah and yeah i think it does take practice but um i still struggle with it yeah <laughs> not blurting all those things out right up front yeah once. i'm just like so excited um, like, tell that say everything these are all my characters these are all the things these are the all MK my secrets me. now that you've these asked me secrets. Have them all. let me spill out my whole entire heart to you yeah but um yeah it's 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 just because I think I'm excited uh, to see the story unraveling, and I can't wait to continue to roll that thread and see how it expands and grows. And in future episodes, we may have a closer look at some of the ways I've chosen to design classes or or reimagine attributes. Yeah, or um, even I'm curious to hear after you've played for a while how well the stress mechanics working. It's one that is suggested in many different ways. In Ben mm-hmm. Richten's talks about horror, and in, in fact, the DMG talks about adding in a different um, ability score, right? For yeah, sanity, right? And yeah, dif- different ways to deal with this, this idea of madness. Um, I think, yeah, get out there and have some fun with that as well, because it's, it's a, it's an interesting element to add to the game. Um, it is. And it, it's an interesting way to add limited uses in a sense that doesn't require charges, right? But also requires players to buy into what happens if they do go crazy. Yeah. Um, can they role play it? Do they lose agency? How's it going to go? Yeah, well, I, I always try to err on the side of maintaining player agency. Yeah. And it's more of see, giving them like a like a prompt in an improv scene, right? Like imagine 
X person, but with, you know, but they're, you know, they are awash with the futility of their own existence, right? You know, but I don't know. It, that's kind of what it ends up looking like, which can be fun. Sometimes it's a bloodlust style thing that they get really into and absorbed in and they need to be calmed down. Or sometimes they're so miserable. Or even sometimes they go into catatonic states and they, they roll, or like they they have altered visions of reality. And it really surprises me how much players can really lean into it when they realize the story doesn't need to be about them winning, but about them just existing right there they're the trials and tribulations and their character you know having these flaws and madness and being you know pushed to the edge i think is really uh fun to see but again i think it's it takes practice um as with all things um so give it a shot <laughs> that's what i recommend if you're if you're afraid give it a go with you know the little handy breaks on you know with the understanding that we're all friends at the table um, and then as you get better and better, maybe you start removing some of those and getting that trust, right? Because it is a, an exercise in trust. Sure. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave that there this week. And uh, we will be back in next week with uh, we'll talk on maybe something uh, new. Something new. I'm still of the world. Thing right yeah. Now. Well, so perhaps it'll be my campaign next week if we, uh, we might look at where we're going with uh, All right, folks, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you.